have a few announcements here for you. Can't get this on. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, okay. I'm about to go in my pocket. Who here has signed up for King David? Yay. We are getting close to, um, I believe, closing out the, the seat arrangements. We have five more seats available um, through the group that we're doing here. If you missed the five seats, um, you can go ahead and call the Lifehouse Theater on your own. And we are leaving on March 9th. Be there no, no later than 2 o'clock. If you would like to do the Rise of King David with your spouse, Mario and I are putting together a couple's Friday night date night. So if you miss going with the ladies, we are doing this on Friday, March 22nd. This will also be something where you need to call the Lifehouse Theater and make your own reservations. We will get together for dinner and then separately go to the Lifehouse. And my second notice is we are having a couple's dinner fellowship. This will be at our house on December 22nd at 6 o'clock. And this is open to everybody who wants to come. We will be doing a white elephant game. So if you're coming with your spouse, bring two um, under $5 gifts for the white elephant fellowship. And also my last announcement is Our couples will be joining in with Calvary Costa Mesa's retreat for couples. And this will be in February, the first weekend, I believe. Um, This will not be with Brian and Cheryl Broderson, but this will be with the couples ministry that is with um, Costa Mesa. So if you're interested in going to that, please see me or Mario, and uh, we will get you connected with that. And that's all I have. Oh, um, the breakfast, the Christmas breakfast. Christmas coffee. Christmas coffee. We're having a Christmas coffee, not next Thursday, but the following. So you will get more information in your groups Tuesday, the 18th. Thank you. I was paying attention earlier. (laughs) So look forward to that. It's going to be fun and yummy. Psalm 139. Who feels kind of extra special after reading this one? Mm-hmm. Feel like God created just you, just you're the only one on earth and no one else matters but you. <laughs> it's all about you. It is. <laughs> this morning I'd like to read it to you. And I want you just to sit back and reflect. There's a lot to take in. You can follow me in your book, or you can follow me in your Bible, or if you want to just close your eyes and listen. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? 
Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance, being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me. When I was yet, there was none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! Deep heart for me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you for this beautiful psalm that you have given us today. And I pray, Lord, that you will just go before my words and then speak to the ladies here, Lord. And if I say anything that is not of you, I pray that it falls on deaf ears. I ask for a special blessing upon this room, Lord. Pierce your words through our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. This is known as a wisdom psalm. It's written by David also known as a descriptive praises. I've broken down for you what the context of some of the verses grouped together are. In verses 1 through 6, David is praising of God's ultimate knowledge of us. In verses 7 through 12, a praise of God's presence around us. In verses 13 through 16, our praises of celebration of God's creation of us from conception. In verses 17 and 18, a praise of God's thoughts of us are innumerable. In verses 19 through 22, a prayer for the punishment of God's enemies. And finally, a prayer for God to search our hearts and lead us. In this psalm, we see the intimate relationship David has with God. It's personal. It's the same of us writing in our journals at home. We want to tell God of our accomplishments, discouragements, disappointments, joys, fears, our life goals. As we sit quietly writing about our innermost thoughts to God, 
Here we see David doing the same. After reading this a few times, I pictured David sitting maybe high on a hill overlooking God's majestic creation. The psalm packs so much, it's personal. He calls us his favorite. I like to call this psalm, He Knows Me for Who I Am. It's obvious we are all different in our own unique way that God created. I worship different than you. I pray different than you. I cry different than you. I love different than you. I even cook different than you. Mario cooks. (laughs) I tie my shoes. Maybe different than you, but that stuff doesn't matter to him. What matters is that he has our hearts and we look at him and he is our king. And that we look only to him for everything, from the biggest of circumstances in our lives to the smallest minor details. Earlier, earlier this year, I was telling Connie, I think I killed my rose bush she gave me in June. At first, when I brought them home, I eventually counted 18 roses. Wow, God's given me 18 cute little pink roses. Since I was so excited to see it bloom, I transplanted them right away into my flower bed. I thought I did the right thing to keep it safe. I handled it with extra care. Bought the best fertilizer out there for flowers. I tucked it in nice and soft and talked to it while I was putting it in. I even prayed for them. Slowly the roses started to droop. There would be one less every day until they were all gone. I was embarrassed, upset, and even cried a little that I couldn't take care of a plant that was so easy. Connie told me they're carnivores, right? They take care of themselves. I remember praying at times, actually putting out a fleece with God. Back when Mario was making the decision to change jobs, God, if this is from you... Let a rose bloom, and I will know. God, if you want me to do this, let two roses come up, and I will know it's of you. Nothing would grow. For two months, in fact, it looked dead. Brown on the stems, not one green leaf, and it was still summer. As I forgot all about my fleeces with God, which I do not recommend doing, and continued on with then my uh, women's Bible study, couples fellowship, high school ministry. We recently returned from Mexico, and as we were pulling in our driveway, I had one big bloomed pink flower, and I thought it was dead. And to me, even though it's the smallest thing that I considered something as a big deal, to me it was God saying, I know, just trust me. I'm here. I'm there. God knows everything about us. He loves you for who you are, for who he created. So here we go, starting with verse 1. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. The word search is also another word for examine. Look it over. Memorize it. Pierce through. It's intimate. He knows me. He knows you. Those of us married for a long time, our spouses know us, and we know them. Or we can say we know our children pretty well. Sometimes not. God knows us even more. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought of far off. 
Sitting down is also known for a dwelling place to abode. He knows everything I did, everything I will do today, everything I'll do tomorrow, everything I'll do next year. He is there when I wake up at 3 in the morning and can't sleep. When something is troubling me, he wants us to come to him and talk about what he already knows. Then eventually I would fall back asleep. 2 Kings 19.27 But I know your dwelling place. You're going out and you're coming in. And your rage against me. Matthew 9.4 But Jesus knowing their thoughts. Why do you think evil in your heart? The Hebrew is you understand my thoughts in their origins. Before I even think them, he knows them. He knows the process by which they are formed. Our Lord knows how people treat us, how they talk to us in our home, at our workplace. He knows about our situation that we might be afraid to tell even our closest friends. He knows our finances, good or bad, our tears. When we cry and nobody sees, God sees. He knows our joys and our fears. 1 Chronicles 28.9 As for you, my son Solomon, Know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Do we want God to know our thoughts all the time? Maybe not. I know I don't. Sometimes when I pass the same homeless person for the hundredth time and I tell him in my car, go get a job again. Even though he didn't hear me say it, God heard me say it. Or when I just got into a terrible argument with my husband or that family member over the phone and when I hung up, he didn't hear what I really thought, but God did. He knows everything. I have come in my daily prayer to ask God for guidance and go ahead of my steps in my thoughts to help me see the positive, not the negative. To see what he sees in that person and not what I see on the outside. Verse 3, you comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Job 31.4, does he not see my ways and count all my steps? Paul the Apostle said in Acts, For in him we live, we move, we have our being. The all-prevailing presence of God surrounding my life, God's omnipresence. We might ask ourselves in times, Oh Lord, do you see just me in this crowded room of people? God has already gone ahead and mapped out our life. Whatever season we are in in our life, he knows. He knows the single mother striving to take care of everything on her own. He rejoices with us at the birth of our children, applauding with us when our kids take their first steps. Their first words, that home run hit that you waited all year, and that goalie that they took. He sees us when we close our eyes and our kids kids drive off for the first time in the car just to go to the store and back. I know it's seven minutes. But we're not in the car to remind them to stop at the stop sign. But God is there. 
Verse 4. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. This is kind of scary for me. You mean God knows if I'm going to say something I'll regret? Yes. God knows when my sister needs some comforting words, and he uses me, uses you, to speak that gentle tone? Yes. Or when I didn't. Mara and I have been married almost 20 years now, and we know how to finish each other's sentences. Sometimes he will say something totally opposite of what I'm expecting him to say, and it throws me off. Sometimes we throw God off by saying one of those, oops, didn't mean to say that out loud. What about one of those times when we are in a conversation where we're waiting for our turn to just say it like it is? But then something happens in that second and we say something nice or nothing at all. He knows even before we say it, encourage or discourage, he knows. Our words can be cruel or they can heal. He gives us a choice. God knows our motives, our heart. He knows everything we do and will do. He helps our words to be softer and kinder if we ask him. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. The dictionary says a hedge is to enclose with a separate or separate with a hedge to surround or confine. We can look back and see the hand of God on our lives, all the U-turns he did, all the changes for good, even when we thought different, all the accidents he saved us from when at times we were distracted at the will. God knew what he was doing, and it was only for the best for us, for me, for you. He hedged us in his arms. God went in front of David behind him. He encircled him with protection. David tells us in 2 Samuel 22 where he is running from Saul again. He sings this song on the day the Lord rescued him. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. He is my shield the power that saves me and my place of safety. God hedges us inside his arms of protection. Like when our children are at a park or first learning to ride a bike, we follow with our arms out. They don't know how it feels to hit the asphalt. They don't know what the street is like if a car is coming and someone behind the wheel is not paying attention. But we can foresee that. My youngest daughter, Elise, would run down the driveway to chase a ball or anything in her sight, and no matter how hard I would yell, stop, she didn't hear me. She was more focused on that ball when she was little. My answer to that was to stop buying them. (laughs) As the parent, I could foresee the danger of the street where she couldn't. God goes before everything we do. The drive across the rim, he's there. Down the mountain, he's there. Those times when something happens and we are running late at a meeting or behind a really, really slow car, God is protecting us. He is there. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So David stops here and ponders on the greatness of God. Such knowledge is too wonderful. It's incomprehensible. For me... My head hurts when I try to understand algebra or when Jeff talks about the human DNA, molecules, or the solar system. 
I walk out of church going, huh? Kind of like church CSI. (laughs) If it's not simple, I have a hard time with it. I can't do complicated. Some people God designed to thrive on complication. They get it. They love it. A few times I would watch a CSI show and three stories are going on at once and I just can't grasp it. It's just not the way I am. It's not the way he made me. He's too wonderful. Um, Let's talk about knowledge for a second. We'll go on a short little rabbit trail here. Verse 6 where it says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Job 42.3 You ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Thanks to wonderful for me, which I did not know. What knowledge? Self-knowledge? We have hidden the truth about ourselves so long that we don't even know the truth about our own self. The heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17.9 tells us, I do search the hearts of man. But who really knows the motive, the true motive behind our actions? It is God who weighs the motive. We put so much emphasis upon a person's actions. God puts the emphasis upon the attitude, the motives from which the actions spring up. Is it possible for people to have right actions with wrong motives? If we are seeking man's approval, then yes, God's looking at our motives. Take heed to yourself, Jesus said in Matthew 6, that you do not your righteousness before men to be seen of men. In other words, that should not be our motive, to be recognized by men. That's why I'm doing my righteous things, so people can see me. You've got to be careful that That's not your motive, for Jesus said in Matthew, I say unto you, you have your reward. God weighs the heart. God is checking the attitude, the motives by which we do things. And the Bible says that one day we are all to stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things that we've done in our body, whether they be good or evil. Verses 7 through 12, David tells us, We can't hide from God. We may run, but we can't hide. God knows every nook and cranny of this world. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? Hebrews 4.13 And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked upon to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Amos 9, verse 2 through 3. Though they dig into hell, from there my hand shall take them. Though they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. And though they hide themselves on top of Carmel, from there I will search and take them. Though they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, from there... I will command the serpent, and it shall bite them. The omnipresence of God filling the universe. There is no place that you can go and escape the presence of God. Again, it says in Acts 17, In him we live, we move, we have our being. When I feel no one knows what I'm going through, when I see nothing good coming from my current situation, or feeling like I'm the only one on this mountain, 
that has demon-possessed dogs or cats. He's there. God's Spirit, they're even there when temptation comes our way. He helps us to resist temptation by first helping us to recognize it. He then gives us the courage to run from anything that is wrong and to seek friends who love God and offer help in times where we are not strong. Ladies, we are not going to be always strong all the time. We're not going to be always on that spiritual high on the mountaintop all of the time. Of course, we are going to have times of discouragement, but we also have to acknowledge that he is still with us through everything and through it all. We might not understand, but God does. When we are at our highest of highs or lowest of lows, he is there. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God is everywhere. We cannot hide. He is always walking beside us. In those hard times, he is still there. It says he will guide us. He's going to show us what to do. His strength will support us. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. You know, we wonder, reading these verses, if David had been meditating on God's greatness, on the personal relationship that he had with God, would he have made that fateful decision when he called Bathsheba? I don't think this psalm was written before because he wrote about it later. If we could live in that conscious state of mind during those crossroads of life, if we knew God is watching us, would we make those decisions that would later we regret? We knew that God did not want us to do that. But we did it anyway. David did it anyway. 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us there is a way out when we are tempted. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. When we are feeling tempted, he wants us to ask him, God, help me right now. I'm feeling tempted. He tells us there is a way out if we ask him. We are human. We fall short. We repent and deal with the consequences and move on stronger than we were. Hopefully not to make the same mistake. We grow stronger and strive to be better every day. Verse 12, Indeed, the darkness shall hide from you. Shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Daniel 2.22, He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what in the darkness and the light dwells within him. I share with my kids and maybe some of you that God is colored blind. We all look the same, no color difference. With God, there is no darkness. There is no hiding in darkness. There is no closet that we can run to. God doesn't play hide and seek. It makes no difference to him. He can see just as well at night as he can during the day. Turn the lights out and hide from God. It doesn't make any difference. God can see us. Light and darkness are the same to him. My son says it's like God having infrared vision or he has night vision goggles. You know, when our kids try to sneak behind us when they're little and we say, I see you, put the cookie down. (laughs) 
to me, it amazes me to this day how my kids can think, how do you know when you're in the other room that I'm in the other room in the cookie jar? I tell them all parents get those when they have kids. Thirteen, for you formed my inward parts and you covered me in the mother's womb, my mother's womb. Job 10.8, your hands have made me and fashioned me in intricate unity, being formed perfectly to his design instructions. Not one oops, not one flaw, perfect in every way. Isn't it funny how we sometimes complain about our looks, our hair, eyes, Long fingers, short fingers, stubby toes, too tall, too short. I had a time where I was doing crazy things with my hair, and one of my friends says, why don't you just leave it alone and go natural with what God created anyway? Isn't it perfect? I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. More and more we're discovering how wonderfully made the human body is. It is said that the human body is so complex that one cell in our body's DNA can write 1,600 pages of notes of how to make an ear, how to make a nose, how to make a toe. God infuses us with his DNA daily. The more we walk with him, the closer Christ is with us. Our kids look like us. They act like us. We should look just like Christ. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Have you ever thought about how God forms the baby inside its mother? King David thought about it. As he did, he realized that he did not know how to explain it, so he compared it to knitting which was something he did understand. He knew that when someone knits a scarf or a sweater, the person does it by hand. It's a personal gift that takes a lot of time, skill, and attention to detail. In the same personal, careful way God has formed us, he lovingly made us stitch by stitch. You're not a mistake. You're wonderfully made. You're his craftsmanship, perfect in every way. Your eyes saw my substance be being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me when I, when as yet there were none of them. God wrote my book. He wrote your book. Before we were even born, it has a beginning, it has an end. Every moment is already planned out for us. Before a single day passes, he made the trail. I can just see God saying, as you were being formed, let's make this one special. She's going to be wonderful. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Romans 11:33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. God's thoughts towards us is priceless. He never thinks bad. When someone speaks your name in heaven, I can picture him smiling. He loves you that much, so much. Not to compare God with our pets, but they are amazingly happy to see us when we walk in the door. They could have gone all day or two days without food. 
But the minute you walk in the door, that thought is gone. Only happiness and love is shown. And then God said, my thoughts towards you are good, not evil. Verse 18, if I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. God never stops thinking about us. Holding a handful of sand and letting it pour through your fingers is mind-boggling on how much the thoughts of God are for us. And that's just one handful. You're surrounded by so much sand. His thoughts are all good. Again, God doesn't think bad. When we are sleeping, he is there. When we are awake at those early hours, he is already waiting for us. Our first words in the morning when we open our eyes should be, Good morning, God. How fresh the air. How beautiful for you to care. And don't the birds sound fine today? I recently got back from Mexico, and then I was walking on the beach looking at the sand. It reminded me of these verses. I was reading somewhere that a person took all the people on the earth and God's greatness and came up with a math equation of God thinks 70 wonderful thoughts of each of us per second. So as the time has passed here, every second he has thought of you 70 wonderful thoughts. Verse 19 through 22. Here we see David turning a corner with his thoughts. From oh how you loved me and formed me. Your thoughts of me such enormous to oh that you would slay the wicked. We know from a young age David could not stand people talking bad about his Lord. To him that was a picking a fight. Oh that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. Depart from me, therefore you bloodthirsty men. Isaiah 11:4. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Don't you wish sometimes or all the time there was no such thing as bad or wickedness? That life is waiting for us in heaven. Here on earth we have to endure through the hard times. Like Jeff mentioned a few Wednesdays ago, the Bible does not tell us that we would not go through bad times before the rapture. But we do know the Bible says in Romans 8:28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 20, For they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. David here seems to be reminding God of the bad people talk about him, kind of like us saying, and then they said this, and then they say this, like as if God doesn't already know. He knows. David's relationship, remember, is very personal. You can say it's one-on-one conversation talking. When we hear people using God's name in vain, it's like a knife going through our heart, going through our Savior all over again. We also teach our kids the right and wrong way to use God's name. It's interesting how at movies now we pay to hear God's name taken in vain. And yeah, it cringes us for a second, but then we dismiss it and we go on. David here is saying, God, let's kill them for blaspheming your name. Let's go get it done. Verse 21, do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? 
The problem with hatred is that it binds the hater and not the hated. Hatred is a miserable set of chains that God will not leave alone in the hearts of his children. Why is that? Because we're not to be evil. God wants us to give that to the cross. He will not let it go until we until we let it go. When you struggle with such emotions, you often avoid the beneficial interaction. Sometimes when we are in the midst of struggle, we tend to avoid certain passages or scriptures that we know will speak to us. But then they pop in our heads or we hear them on Sunday or Wednesday. Love your enemies. Do good to those who despitefully use you. Really? How about this one? Pray for your enemies. Second Chronicles 19.2 And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Lately at my husband's side of the family for gatherings, because all mine's in Texas, so I, don't have, I can't say anything about that, Jesus has slowly slipped away. He went from being their prayer before dinner, thankfulness of what he's done in their lives, to, okay, let's eat. No one goes to church. There's no talk of what God has done in their life, only when it becomes a stroke of luck. Thank God that happened. It seems now as we look around the world that God has become the same as getting good things in life. David saying, Lord, I can't let anyone talk about that against you. Just like someone who is mean to our child, to your child, the apple of your eye. You don't want to be so nice. Verse 22, I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. David was a man of war, fought against the armies that were the enemies of God. His first battle, as we know, as a young shepherd boy was against Goliath. If you want to turn with me real quick, you can. If not, I'll just paraphrase the First Samuel 17. As we read, David's three older brothers were in Saul's army. They were going to battle with the Philistines in the Valley of Elah. David, belonged, David, being the youngest, was told to stay back and attend to the sheep, something he knew very well. His father, Jesse, came to him and says, to pack some bread and cheese and take them to your brothers and send word back to me on how they were doing. So he goes and here, here you have the Philistines on one hill and you have Israel on another and they're just yapping back and forth. David's going, what's going on? Israel is cowering. They're scared. Goliath's saying, why are you coming out to fight? I am the Philistine champion, but you are the only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. So David hears all this chatter and says to one of the men, So uh, what's in it for the guy who kills the big dude here? <laughs> and uh, with, with complete confidence, David is amazed that Israel has cowered down. And he's like, no, no, no. God is with us. So they tell him, oh, you get a house, a wife, and some riches, and you never have to pay taxes again. So he basically says, okay, I'm in, send me. My God is with me. Who is this pagan Philistine saying that he shall defile the armies of God? See, David knew his Lord was with him. 
complete confidence. Can you imagine this little shepherd boy talking with these Israel's army saying, why are you guys backing down? Are you kidding me? Don't you know? You've seen it before. God is with you. God is with us. We should hate everything that God hates. Not that we hate people, but hate the action and the sin. But pray for them and and for them to find love within. God will take care of his enemies. And now David petitions God, saying, Okay, you know how I feel. But now search me. Do I have anything inside me that's hidden, that displeases you? Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. Job 31, 6, let me be weighed in the scales. Let me be weighed on honest scales, so God may know my integrity. Who is the man who prays, search me, O God? He's the man who understands and knows that he doesn't know himself. Search me, O God, and know my thoughts and know my heart. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 5.8, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face. O God will destroy the wicked. David asked God to purge anything in him that is displeasing. We should be asking God the same. To point out the ugly in us. To show us what inside our heart needs fixing. What needs a little nudge. Maybe a little or maybe a lot. Maybe we need a do-over this morning. Asking God to not let our day be like yesterday. Because God is going to destroy the wicked. I don't want to be wicked. You don't want to be wicked. We don't want to be destroyed. We want to live with him forever. Again, we need to ask God if there is something inside our hearts that is displeasing to him to get rid of it. As the body of Christ, we should not be telling God to fix someone else. The moment we do, it's us that needs fixing. How many times have we, have I sat in church, listened to the message, hoping that that certain someone was here, turning around to make sure that they are. Yep, she needs to hear this one. <coughs> Preach it, brother. <laughs> Only to realize later that it was ourselves that needed to hear it. The body of Christ is composed of so many different qualities that God needs to use. I, too, used to think, how come I didn't get picked to sing in BBS? Why her? She is not qualified. Well, if you heard me sing, you wouldn't want a baritone leading worship. (laughs) So, therefore, I'm not the one. But God has the perfect person he wants to use in every area of his church. Every area. He sees a quality inside of their heart that I don't, that you don't, that we don't. Remember, it goes back to our motives. God sees our motive. We need to ask God daily to search our hearts and pluck out the dead branches in us. Be joyful for others being used where we can't do it. Be joyful of the growth in God's church. The work of the Holy Spirit is not only revealing Christ to us, but revealing ourselves to ourselves. How often the Holy Spirit reveals to me the truth about myself. My reaction, my response to a situation, the Holy Spirit will say, Really? That's all you got? Now that was wrong. That wasn't Christ-like. That wasn't a Christ-like spirit. You weren't responding in love. You were angry with them. 
And usually we would say, yes, I am, and I have a right to be. And he starts dealing with me as he reveals these areas of my life, as in your life, that are not yet brought to the cross, not yet into conformity to Jesus Christ, those areas of self that are still there, that he is desiring to give me victory over. Holy Spirit's work is that of revealing to us those areas of our lives that are displeasing to God. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. Lead me in the path of life. Lead me in the way of everlasting. What is the way of everlasting life, Jesus Christ? We need to constantly talk with Jesus daily. Keep me safe in my car. Protect our husbands, our family. Find me a deal in the store. Watch over my kids. Help them on their test. Run by him your daily planner and ask him to guide and direct your path before the day starts. Because he has already mapped it out anyway, remember? This psalm is amazing. It's comforting. It's soul-searching. Or it could be very disturbing. If you find it disturbing, stop running and run to Jesus. His arms are open. He's a prayer away. Moses said, Lord, if you don't go with me, I won't go. Let's tell Jesus that every morning. Lord, you lead me. I will follow. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are with me every moment of my life. Keep me in your perfect peace and protection. Keep, give us the strength to serve you faithfully. Thank you for creating me just the way you wanted. Help me to pray for the lost and the weary, for those that do not know you. Search my heart, O oh God. Make it ever true. Please rid of anything displeasing to you and lead me to the cross every day. Amen. I have a, um, I have a, a, a special song I want to play for you. It's just three more minutes because we're already late, so what does it matter? <laughs> um, some of you know, um, might have know that um, one of my favorite artists is Amy Grant, and um, she has written a song that she calls one of her face to the asphalt songs that it wasn't until God brought her there that she turned everything over to him. And I want to play that to you. And I just want you to close your eyes where you can look at the screen behind me. It has some beautiful pictures. And I just want you to understand that God is with us and he's going to carry you through everything that's going on right now in your life. He knows and he's going to fix it for you and he will be there. So let's just... um, Listen to this beautiful song that uh, Jerry's going to play. <laughs> 